This podcast is created in partnership with Film Studies and the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences at the University of Sydney. We acknowledge the tradition of custodianship and law of the country on which the University of Sydney campuses stand, as well as the Darug people, where we all grew up. We pay our respects to those who have cared for and continue to care for country. I wish I knew how to quit. I see all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm gonna go, do you want me to go f***ing flash your lights? Take two. Film vs. Film. Hello, film lovers, and welcome to Film vs. Film, the podcast where every episode we throw two different films into the ring, discuss their place in history, their modern virtues, and how they stack up against each other. Which film will hot up, and which film will be left on the cutting room floor? In this episode, we're going behind the scenes with two incredible making-of stories. One film charts the tumultuous production of one of the most famous films of the 70s, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. And the other charts the hopes and dreams of a filmmaker who inherited the dream created by Coppola, but not the audience or the skills or the artistry. (laughs) Yes, today we're comparing the Sundance award-winning documentary American movie to the well-regarded Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. I'm comedian and a filmmaker who has also had a feature made about him making a horror movie, Craig Anderson. And today I'm joined by my two best friends from high school, resident cinephile and a man whose college years saw more drugs than Dennis Hopper... (laughs) It's Herschel Isaacs. I feel like I'm I'm really lucky. I'm the beneficiary of both of you introducing some movies that I probably wouldn't have caught up with, mm-hmm. but through through you. Mm. Yeah. So I've seen Hearts of, uh, Hearts of Darkness um, a lot, mm. but I never would have come across American movies. So I'm looking forward to talking about it today yeah. in the context of both of them. So right. a really cool setup, this. Excellent. We're also joined by Herschel's identical twin brother, a man who's all right, he's okay, he's got something to live for. (laughs) It's the Associate Professor of Film at the University of Sydney, Bruce Isaacs. Thanks, Craig. Uh, I also have Craig to thank for putting him onto American Movie, which I hadn't seen, Mm. but I kind of fell in love with. Oh, fantastic. Now, the three of us grew up together on Darug land in Western Sydney in a beautiful suburb of St. Clair which was named by the Landex Corporation in 1980. Growing up there, we had many fun rituals, and as you can tell, they mostly had to do with watching movies on VHS tapes. However, once Bruce Isaacs got his license, we'd be cruising around in the Isaacs family maroon Commodore to the cinemas to watch a movie on Friday and sometimes yeah. Saturday night. And as we've discussed on the show many times, uh, we've seen a lot of films at the cinema together. And after the movie, there were a couple of things we'd love to do. One of them was hit up McDonald's for a 30-cent ice cream cone oh, and chat about the memories. film. But the big one I want to talk about today <laughs> is driving all the way up to Penrith Panthers for a very strange ritual called aqua golf. <laughs> Can I just brief that? Well, I mean, mm. this is such a wonderful topic because these memories are so profound for us, right? I just want to say, in that reference to driving the Commodore around, mm-hmm. my, um, Herschel and my parents were in South Africa for a visit. No, just so just the parents. The, I, I was in the car, man. No, no, I said, <laughs> oh. parents, no. So our parents were in South Africa for a visit for the whole summer. Mm, mm. And I was the, Herschel Winfrey's uh, license failed. Failed. Uh, I think, Craig, you also failed, maybe. I failed. And I was the last mm-hmm. one to have a go, and I just snuck through. Yes. And I remember we, we I was driving us to Penrith Plaza, all of us in the car. Cause, and the other memory I have is we were blaring zombie by the crowd. Yes. Yeah, it was brilliant. 
Yeah. That was Brilliant. that summer, right? <laughs> that was anyway, but you added so on a tape, and then and to listen to it again, you had to you, you listen to it, and then you had to rewind it yeah, and yeah, wait yeah, until really. it was rewound I, uh, and, and started again. And that song and the cranberries meant so much to us. Anyway, can I just, I just say, growing yeah. up out that way, public transport didn't exist, and yeah. everything like it's an hour to walk to the next town out west because everything's just much bigger and sprawling. Yeah, and the suburbs are like a big sprawl. Right? The bus yeah. comes every half an hour, and then you'll <laughs> mostly miss it, and then it takes an hour to even get to the train station before you can go anywhere. So you really yeah, needed so to learn to how to drive. In the city so on the inner west, when you yeah. scraped through and got your license, ah, it was a was godsend like, Jesus, for us. That was like freedom. It was yeah. a big yeah. deal. And I just want to say, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but that really failed me on a ridiculous technicality <laughs> okay. in, in my situation. All right. And you, you know what really broke me, Craig? Because your dad. Your yep. dad picked us up after my oh, test, right. and he said, "How did you go?" And I go, um, "Nah, I failed." And he <laughs> said, "Are oh, you silly duffer?" And he, just, <laughs> and he just turned and walked back to the car. And I was, I was so low, I was like a broken person. <laughs> I, I just want to say one very, and I, okay, that was at Mount Druidati. Yeah, I remember, Mount Druidati. Yeah. We're gonna do aqua golf in one sec, because yeah. I love the topic. But I just want to say, on the very first afternoon, uh, we're in the Commodore. <laughs> I'm behind the wheel. Mm. I made a mistake at a big intersection at, uh, as we're heading to Penrith. So I cross over the light, but the oh light boy. goes red on me. <laughs> and I'm nervous, so I can't push through. So I decide to do what I think any person who's only had their license for an hour would do. <laughs> I put the car in reverse. <laughs> no. And I floor it to go back. I don't know if you guys remember. You reverse into a person. straight into a taxi. No, into a person. A taxi. No, I no, no, no. I mean, someone a over. person in the car, I mean. I ran into a taxi. So then oh, we all freaked and I stopped and we all got out and the taxi guy started screaming at me <laughs> and I was very unnerved. And then, they and then out of the there was a guy mm-hmm. who was mm-hmm. completely blotto. I yeah. mean, father, that means very drunk. And it was about one in the afternoon and he came running from across the street from a pub. And for some reason, he started defending yeah. me. Yeah, remember he, he goes, he he goes no, 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 I saw it all. It was the taxi driver that ran into yeah. you. Don't admit anything. Yeah. And, and, I w- and he was so drunk. And I just, it was, <laughs> it was like we were in Bowie's Afraid. <laughs> it was our I best defence, that I guy. I mean, anyway, that was, so, anyway, but, okay, that was just such a, a, a profound moment. For but do you remember how we solved that problem? We gave the guy 30 bucks. Yeah, we gave the guy, we, we all the cabbie, scrunched yeah. the cabbie. Mm. And we gave the cabbie 30 bucks for yeah, a broken and grill. And then he let us go. <laughs> anyway, Echo Golf, that was like profound. Okay, I just want to, exp- I want to describe, because if you say Echo Golf to people, yeah, it's weird. like what the hell does that even mean? Yeah. So I want to describe it really quickly. <laughs> what you do is you go to Penrith Panthers, which is the club it's attached. Vegas of the West, so well, sure. yeah, it's, No, no, that's Rudy Hill, RSL. Oh, Don't get that wrong, pal. <laughs> it's got its own postcode. I, I know it had one, one pokey machine less than a casino license. It had it right to the brink of How come? Both. Why didn't they just? No, they, they didn't want to get go to go into another situation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they had exactly one under. So, um... The reason I am still so connected to aqua golf is because Lockie, my son, and I, we go watch the Penrith Panthers. Now, mm. for our listeners out there, the Penrith Panthers at the moment are the most successful national rugby league team uh, in the competition. <laughs> and they are, t- they are the Penrith Panthers, and that's what the club's tied to. At the back of the Panthers is aqua golf, where you walk up and you hit a bucket of balls into water. <laughs> so it's not like a driving range, and they, only yeah, give you, and they only give you a sandwich. Yeah. So or you can't pitch, eat no, pitching wedge, pitching wedge or, sandwich. or sandwich. And you ca- obviously you can't eat a driver or something because it only goes a certain distance. But we would spend our time getting Maccas and ice cream 
and they would be hitting golf mm. balls into the water. And yeah. I just remember hot nights when mosquitoes, I was getting bitten <laughs> by mosquitoes all the time, hitting golf balls. Yeah. And if you, hit, if you hit particular targets, you could like win money and stuff Wait, like that. Wait, I want to make that? it clear. This wasn't like, we're not like rich, fancy New Yorkers who go to a no. driving range. This is no. not the clientele. The clientele are weird kids, family members. It's just like <laughs> and pe- people us, who don't want to play pokies are now there I mean, it's instead. kind of like a broken social environment, like yeah. an American movie. It was really strange. <laughs> right? There's a bit of American movie <laughs> in that oh, golf. There's a lot of American movie in our lives, I reckon. Well, first of all, hitting the tin, like there were metal sheets and they had a circle in the yeah. middle. If you got it in, you got you could win up no, to 500. Money. But yeah. if you he just hit a tin, if you, you hit got a, a tin, bucket of balls. Or you got a free voucher. Oh, yeah, a bucket, bucket of balls. Just, that's bucket right. of balls. And yeah. that was like the greatest thrill in life. And do you guys remember mm. when I created that, that particular shot to Billy Madison where yeah. you close yeah. the face of the club <laughs> and you run up and do a, whirl, <laughs> a whirlwind <laughs> and then try and hit it as far yeah, as you Because that was could. out of Billy Madison that we were all trying to perfect. But then the other shot was... To hit it with the edge of the club completely yeah. open, but you, your aim would have to be so perfect that you'd hit halfway, of the, and then you'd hit it as if you were hitting with a low lofted club, like a driver. Yeah, yeah. Because we would try and hit it over the lake, <laughs> the fence. We'd hit it, and we'd try and get it past bushes. the fence. Yeah. yeah. There, there was a boat. Remember the boat would tug, 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 yeah. tug. It was like then, a gas and then boat. Everyone tried to hit and it. it had a cage for the driver to sit in. T- and they just had a big net collecting all the I balls. Know. But uh, one thing, when we leave Aquagolf, it's the saddest because that's usually the last thing we do at the night. Yeah. yeah. So you'd start with going to the movies. Then that's you'd right. You get knackers and, that, and then the night finishes. And then you're there. And then it's like, oh, the slow walk back to the car park at Panthers. And then you've just got to drive home and go, oh, I guess yeah. we got to bed. Because it always a hell of a lot of fun. It was yeah. The, yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I don't want to <laughs> reference the, the and this is again. us in our 18, 19, 20s. We were, this like isn't, the, you know. we were like the obverse of dazed and confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were like not cool enough to be last day of school involved but in But there's a bit of dazed and confused you. about it because yeah, but we, it were the out, we were the people in the out, though. Yeah, but Herschel's dazed and confused that you wouldn't film and then release it <laughs> at, yeah, at but, a film festival. But there's a Matthew McConaughey at Aquagolf, yeah. I reckon. There's a, there's a handful sure. of them at Aquagolf. I reckon there'd be a 35-year-old there trying to pick <laughs> up uh, kids and stuff. <laughs> there's a couple of yeah. toolies. But it's also like how important those things were as rituals for us. Like yeah. we all connected over yeah, it. Yeah. Like we didn't go to Aquagolf like one Friday. Yeah. We went to Aquagolf all the time. <laughs> you know? And we like, were talking about movies you know? or people that we liked at school. Stuff yes. like that. But I should say... It's still there. Unlike yeah. a lot of the stuff we talk about, this one, you that's can amazing. go listen. We should go to Aquagolf. Yeah. Like, in yeah, the yeah let's take the kids. Yeah, All right, well, that's it. That's the dream of Aquagolf. Still available at Penrith Panthers if you want to get out there. As I, a, I, I, yes. I, sort of, I hope people who are listening have the same kind of like memories of these sorts of things, like mm. things you bonded over, right? I love the fact that we all get to have this podcast and like for 10 minutes before we start go, hey, there was this amazing memory. It's you strange because growing up, being qualitative, it wasn't the coolest stuff and we knew it. We <laughs> knew we were lo- losers, so yeah. to speak, or dags and, you know, and we knew the kids were out at clubs when we were at Aquagolf. Yeah, Reactor One. Movie, yeah, Reactor, Reactor One or mm. Kryptonite at Panthers. Now, when we look back on it, that's our best stuff. That's our goal. I mean, I look back on it with pride. To but be isn't, yeah, isn't, that, isn't that exactly out of stand by me when he says yeah. when you look back at it? Yeah. When they think they've got all the insecurities yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. but you'll never get those friends but also, again? But also the whole era of like that kind of teen growing up movie, John Hughes, mm. you know, Ferris Bueller, Breakfast Club, that even though you might not be the jock, you might not be the cool person, what you do has meaning for you. It yeah. does stuff for yeah. you, right? And yeah. then you, when you reflect on it one day, those are like primal things you did. Yeah. 
All right, well, there it is, Aquagolf. Get out there. Penrith Panthers, what a great place to go out. Oh, yeah. and, hey, and still a great place again after the, after the South Sydney Penrith game. They had a cover band, one of the best <laughs> cover bands I've ever okay. seen in my life. All right, and remember it's air conditioned. Like most of the great clubs out in the West, it's air conditioned, and that's all that matters most that of the time. That is an incredibly <laughs> random thing to well, say. Well, no, when it's hot and it's yeah, summer it's, out there, what, most people summer are drinking because degrees. they want to be cold. Yeah. All right. As always, today's episode will feature spoilers for both films. Now, the existence of Apocalypse Now kind of gives away the documentary's ending <laughs> there, but the other one, well, it's real touch and go as you watch the movie as to where on, whether or not that will get made. So make sure you watch them now before we give away all of the spoilers. Let's get into it. Take one. Up first on today's show, because we always move chronologically through the two films, we're starting with 1991's Heart of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse. Way back in 1975, Eleanor Coppola began filming and secretly audio recording her husband, Francis Ford Coppola, as he undertook work on the Vietnam War epic Apocalypse Now. The production and its subsequent delays resulted in the film not being released until 1979. In 1990, Eleanor handed over the materials to two young filmmakers who made the resulting film. The documentary tells the story of Francis Ford Coppola, the famed director of the box office hits The Godfather 1 and 2, as he puts his comfortable Californian existence on the line to co-fund and direct the movie Apocalypse Now. The film references the Joseph Conrad novel Heart of Darkness, which Coppola was also transposing into Apocalypse Now. The movie charts the difficulty of shooting in the rural Philippines, the harsh weather conditions and the problematic behaviour of three of the film's key actors. The film ends with footage of the movie premiere and a title card that touts Apocalypse Now's many successes. The movie features footage shot by Eleanor Coppola, news articles, recording of Orson Welles' original radio broadcast of the Joseph Conrad novel, accompanied by illustrations from the novel, as well as recordings of Francis discussing the production with Eleanor, which she claims to have been recorded for private use only. The movie premiered on Showtime in 1991 and went on to win a many went on to win many American awards for documentary filmmaking, with Gene Siskel listing it as the best movie of the year. Bruce, I know you're a fan of Apocalypse Now. <laughs> What's your take on this movie? Uh, it's, one, I'm thrilled we're doing this movie. I'm thrilled we're doing documentary this week. Mm-hmm. I want to say there are maybe five movies in the whole world that I've seen that kind of compelled me in the way that it did for all of us yeah. to be involved with movies, yeah. right? To like live with it, to constantly reflect on it, to want to understand what it was and what art was. And Apocalypse Now would be like in that five for me. Like Apocalypse, it's hard to, for me to explain what Apocalypse Now means to me because there are so many phases of my life where the film meant something. That's interesting. Uh, I would mm. say Apocalypse Now, I don't, don't care so much. But yeah. This movie, yeah. when I saw it on VHS from the video store, I think it was at Collidon or yep. maybe it was at St. Clair, I remember watching this going, oh, this is filmmaking. Yeah. I want to do this. This is well, the best. So one of the things that I, like, you know, all, all of us, like whether I think the three of us, but I think a lot of film fans want to understand how movies get made. Mm-hmm. There's like this mythology around what is a movie what's Hollywood how do people act and all the crazy celebrities and what do directors do on a set and like what were all the stories they talked about 
on The Godfather 1 and 2. And then when I saw Hearts of Darkness, I honestly couldn't believe what it was. <laughs> so for people who haven't seen it, number one, please see it, right? But what I've, like, the way I've tried to sum it up is try to imagine the biggest creative artists in the whole of Hollywood, the people at the very top. So you got probably the leading director, Francis Ford Coppola, the guy who himself is thought to be the godfather of American cinema at that point. But then you've got Martin Sheen. You've got Marlon Brando, who I'm sure we can talk about a bit on, the, uh, on this <laughs> oh, yeah. movie. I love Marlon so much, right? And he's performance as Kurtz is, for me, like one of the greatest things in the history of all of art, right, let alone this movie. Also, I, I love the way he's captured in the documentary. Oh, it's beautiful. When he's, when he's walking down, he goes, and I've run out of dialogue to say. <laughs> I, I yeah, just yeah. love you. He's got so much control and authority. But what about that love? You know, because they're improving almost all of it, right? What about mm. when he's saying things like, that's my dream, that's my nightmare, and then he'll go like... I saw that a bug. You know, <laughs> yeah, like just I love that. Like, I love what? That. You know, and, and, and because and I'll come back. Let's let's all agree agree to talk a bit about Marlin in about yes, five minutes, yes. okay? Um, so uh, the mythology of Apocalypse Now. It's not just that you've got these people, but you've got them weirdly exposed in the rawest way you can imagine. Like I have spent so much of my, especially adult life chasing up stories about movie making. So I, I've written two of my favorite books down just as a title. So to give you an example, uh, a journalist called Lillian Ross wrote a book called Picture, which is a blow-by-blow -blow making of a movie called The Red Badge of Courage directed by John Huston. This is a journalist who for some reason was given unlimited access to the shoot. And when you read this book, you can't believe it. I learned more about Hollywood from that book than all the film theory I've ever read in my life uh -huh. because it talks about the way directors work with the studio, the studio execs who come in, what is John Huston doing, and then how you're working with the stars, who's getting the money. I learned so much. And the other book that, you know, for me was kind of life-changing is called The Devil's Candy, and it's, again, a blow-by-blow -blow account by a journalist of the making of, believe it or not, the bonfire of the vanities, mm. Which is At that time, possibly the, the most, the biggest flop, the biggest flop and the yeah. biggest failure by the guy that I love to death, Brian De Palma. So when you read that, it's so candy. You can't even believe I can't. Remember how disappointed being, I was because right? I was such a Tom Wolf fan when I, I was in middle to later and high like, school. I don't think it's as bad as people say, but Bonfire the Vanity is not a good movie. But when you <laughs> read the book, the book is magnificent because you get such an insight. I don't know of anything rawer and 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 more exposing of the creative process and like what individuals will go through for their art than Hearts of Darkness. The first time I saw it, I, I was stunned. I think that movie sent me on to trying to like understand what Hollywood was, honestly, like understand what was American cinema. The other thing I wanna say is, like for me, the greatest time in the history of, of film as an art form is about 1967 to 1979, and I always close it at the release of Apocalypse Now. Like for me, so that era is often called the American New Wave or the New American Cinema, and it's like when the studios had to give over to the art house directors. And a lot of people might not know this, but Francis Ford Coppola, you know, he wanted to kill the studio system. Like this well, guy- Zoetrope was an attempt. Zoetrope was an yeah. attempt to go, we're gonna make better movies. You know, they moved to San Francisco. That was the first thing they did. They said, we're not gonna be in LA, we're gonna be in San Francisco. We don't want you guys coming near us. So Zoetrope, 
was started as a way to produce art house movies. And the first cab off the rank was Apocalypse Now, right? Um, they tried to do THX a few years before that George Lucas's movie. That mm. tanked. Zotrope died away. They, rest, they resuscitated it. Him, Peter Bogdanovich, George Lucas, William Friedkin. And they honestly thought, this is our time. All the big studios... You're dead. We don't care about you guys anymore. Yeah. We're going to be the new new system. Did they go on do anything after? Nah. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was well, the Empire Strikes Back. Bro. It didn't work. They didn't have. You can't. It's hard to compete with big studio money. But okay, so you've got this incredible talent. These people don't think of themselves as big Hollywood directors. Francis Ford Coppola thinks of himself as a philosopher artist. Like it's really important to. Un- you know, how many times does Eleanor's wife say, Francis is on a journey into himself. <laughs> he is at the edge. And he writes dialogue like for Brando to say, a snake that crawls on the edge of a razor blade. And, you know, mm. he, he's so mystical, so philosophical. But that the it, movie doesn't even have a plot, really. The other right? thing, but what I, re- like, what I like about it is his self-doubt doesn't seem pretentious. No, like I, he I, actually... You know when he's going, I am going to release an absolute turkey. <laughs> yeah. like, and, and she's I know. going, but isn't it possible that it's just your insecurity? Because what about the feedback you're getting? And he's going, they're just saying it to placate me. Yeah. I know it's a turkey. And when she says things like, you know, just say, like, screw it all, screw it all. You know, Francis works at his best. You know when you work at And he goes, but that's also self-indulgence. You know, and can you imagine... The fact that Eleanor Coppola and the producer of the movie give us access to her husband, who's clearly having an episode of some kind. Everyone's having an episode. All right, in can this we movie. talk about this yeah. now? This isn't okay. Time yeah, yeah, go. Because um, I read somewhere that he didn't, uh, when it came to being put onto DVD, he would not put it on DVD because he said he doesn't agree with his own portrayal. For some reason. Wow. Right. And in the documentary, it says, Sophia Coppola says this was private. Eleanor. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Eleanor says this was privately recorded for my journal. It wasn't meant to be used. Regardless, she passed it on. It was used. And then he didn't veto it or sue the company Mm. or anything. It just got released. But does he, I mean, does anyone know what he thinks about the the documentary? I've never, I've read heaps of a couple. I've never heard him talk about the documentary. Right. It doesn't surprise me that he doesn't like his portrayal because it doesn't accord with this grand autos in control. I mean, this, does he come across as is in control? No, he comes out of control. But I'll tell you what it does. Okay, so maybe I have a different take on it than you guys. Uh, I kind of feel like he's already at the top of the game. Yeah. And he's only got stuff to lose. So now he's like a, he's just paranoid and crazy and he looks kind of, this might be wrong to say, privileged, like yeah. he's got it all. Especially when you run it against the other film we're going to run it against. Yes. This guy has everything yeah. and can afford to go back to his house for a holiday while they delay while they production because of the, the weather. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. And But then it's like... Yeah, but if this movie fails, it is going to bankrupt him. Sure. And so that's some... I hear what you say, though. But all he I'm still saying has is, the power. I wonder if he feels like I feel, like he looks like a, maybe, you know, you guys say he doesn't look like he's, mm. um, what, what in control. In con- not in control. Um, pretentious. Pretentious, but mm. I wonder if he sees it like a bit like I do. I think he sees it as pretentious, but you know the bit where he, he goes on the sort of diatribe about, it requires an artist to do this and to become 
you know, self-reflective and yeah. to go deep within yourself. And he goes, I know that's going to sound as though, and and he understands. Yeah. And he's going, but the truth is, that's the that's the yep. vocabulary that needs to be used for well, this. Well, okay, I that's think true. There are three kinds of journeys I reckon going on in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. There's the journey to the jungle, and like, what kind of primeval stuff happens in the jungle? The second journey that I think is absolutely front and center in the documentary Hearts of Darkness that you don't know about in Apocalypse Now mm. is the, the the kind of the tumultuous physicality of making the movie. That, yeah. That's always been a big, big thing with Hollywood. Like, oh, Lauren, you know, David Lean went to the desert to shoot Lawrence of Arabia. That can, You know, that, 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 that a great work, a great auteur work should be physically laborious to make it should be like so hard to do right that's the second journey but then the third journey is the artist who has to push himself to the edge to pre- now i'm not saying i agree with this but, but it is a mythology that goes back to the enlightenment sure. but it's also and romanticism it, it, right the reason it's effective and i think and, and the reason it's it, it's like very powerful in this is because it doesn't happen once right it's yeah. not it's not just coppola and i guess the distinction i draw craig is that i think the reason I don't think Coppola is pretentious, it sounds pretentious to me, mm. because I, I'm not in that community, right? Yeah. But the, I, I guess I believe that he's being honest himself. And that's why mm. I sort of, I, I'm yeah. sympathetic to and, what he's and experienced. And what supports what you say, Herschel, is that it's not just Coppola's journey. Like, the, the doco is not just about Francis Ford Coppola's journey. Like, yeah, mm. okay, he's kind of the main character. But the, we get a deep insight, for example, into Martin Sheen, mm-hmm. right? Martin Sheen, you know, there's a lovely moment where you know, Martin Sheen, as an older man now, he's like, you know, the president of the West Wing because they interviewed him for mm-hmm. the film in 1991. And he says that, you know, he went through that incredible night where he had to fight something in himself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at that moment, firstly, Martin Sheen hadn't been drinking for the entire shoot. Yeah. And he apparently drank about three bottles of vodka, right? So they're shooting him drunk. And for those of you who have not seen this movie... You can see this. It's so raw. Mm. The first time I watched it, and I've taught this, I've shown this to students. Students can't believe it. Well, what about when he, he breaks the mirror, which wasn't a prop? Oh, absolutely. It was a, it's not a prop. He's supposed to interact the, with it. And, and the thing is, as Eleanor's voice says, the whole room was charged with energy because we didn't know what Marty was going to do. Mm. Because clearly, and remember she says, clearly he was going through some of his own stuff. We didn't know where he was. And do you remember when, you know, he's balding and he's balding and he's saying stuff like, um, you know, my heart is broken. The only other um, sequence in a movie that I think is as affecting because you know it's a piece of acting that's happening. It's like it, it's actually happening in real time and it's, un, you know, it's unpremeditated. There's no script. Is Peter Fonda in Easy Rider when he drops the acid and they're in the, the graveyard. The graveyard yeah. Yeah. That, when I watch that, and again, I've shown that to students, and the students are speechless because you know there's something so raw, but someone filmed it. And Peter Fonda, to his dying day, was angry at Dennis Hopper for <laughs> actually presenting that because he said, that was me talking about my mother, and you had no right to film that. But as we've seen in this movie, Dennis Hopper is a very rational human <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look how far Dennis has come. You know what I love about Dennis? You know what I love about Dennis Hopper? My favorite thing in, in – one of my favorite things in the entire documentary is where Francis is talking to Dennis Hopper and Dennis Hopper's off the leash. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. I love He's nuts, that. right? And then he's going, come on, man. You know, I'm – and then Francis – and he's saying all these incredibly yeah. poetic and beautiful lines. And, it is and, great, isn't it? But then, but then Francis is going – 
Well, why did you say that when you were filming? Yeah, when we were filming that. and you were on camera. Mm. Why did you say it then? And, he, and, and he's saying, you know, because you, you won't let me learn my lines. And he goes, if you learn your lines, then yeah, we have a base. Days you know. to learn your lines, dude. <laughs> but also, I love that the documentary footage of him as an older person is is clearly with the haircut that he's had for Super Mario Brothers <laughs> when he plays the lizard kid. Yeah, when he was, <laughs> right, when, right. He, when he was in that phase of making those crappy yeah, those really straight bad to VHS. Video movies. Um, one of the things I wanted to say is one of my favourite moments, it's a cut in the film, is when Dennis is saying things like, it's not you, man, it's me, and it's him, it's not me, it's going to be you. And then it cuts, and it's Dennis as like a 60-year-old man, like he's, he's clean mm-hmm. cut. And, and, and that's the first time we see older Dennis. Yeah. And Dennis says... I was not in a good place at that time. Yeah, yeah, I was and it's one of those, wasn't yeah. it's one of the funniest cuts. It's so perfect because he's going, and it's me, and it's you, and it's man. And then he just cuts, I was not in a good place during that I time. I wonder if Eleanor's responsible uh, because there's a documentary about the making of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. It was a DVD feature, 20 minutes. It's one of the unintentionally funniest <laughs> making ofs I've ever seen because you've got uh, Anthony Hopkins and what Coppola did was he had them all come out to his house to sit around to read the novel, not the script, but the novel for Bram wow. Stoker's Dracula, right? But then you've got uh, Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves and Gary Oldman and, what, and it cuts to him going... Yeah, so I made a mistake because now we're reading the novel. Everyone wants to make their roles much bigger. They, they're all finding content they want to make bigger. But then it cuts to Winona and Keanu who are kids. Yeah. And, you know, as you've seen the movie, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the best actors. But no. they're having a good time with all the big people and all the big stuff. And they're mucking around playing basketball all the time. And, then it, and they're going, oh, man, Keanu goes... I just love this. It's like a family atmosphere. It's a family fun atmosphere. And when I was like, I love it. It's just so warming and family. And then it cuts to Hopkins and he just goes, I hate family atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I just love all that behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if people are into this sort of thing in the way that we are. Mm. But in Hearts of Darkness, you've got... Oh, No, I was going to say, when you were describing it up front, you were introing it. Great. For me, the... The, the behind-the-scenes thing, if it's done really well and mm. it's something you love, mm. it's like pulling the curtain back on a magician. It's like understanding how the chaos in the background generated yeah. something really magical. But the only thing I would say, though, is the whole point of the magician, right, is to create an illusion. But, like, I don't want movies to be an illusion. So, for me, Hearts of Darkness only enriches something that for me is already such a bounty of riches, right? Like, I feel like I can't even watch Hearts of Darkness without feet. Okay, I don't see them as separate films. Mm. They're part of one major textual, industrial, aesthetic tapestry. I just want to, I don't want us to leave the conversation before we just consider, I guess, the position of Apocalypse Now in the context of, of, Hollywood or film depictions of Vietnam. Yeah. So one of the things, and I was just looking in, in prep for this, I was looking at okay, other Vietnam movies, right? So if you look at, obviously, Platoon is, is a standout in terms of critical yeah. uh, uh, support and, and also box office support. It really put Oliver Stone on the map. But you've got other movies around there as well. You've got Casualties of War, the Michael J. Fox, mm-hmm. Sean Penn. Yeah, that's the that as well. Department. And you've got Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. From but... When you, because I studied a lot of the Vietnam War in, uh, in 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 my major American politics at university, yeah. ANU, right? Now, for me, the modern um, understanding of the modern definition of it is it's pretty much impossible to understand. It's just a myriad of craziness, mm. just insanity. So, if you look at something like Casualties of War or Platoon, it 
does try to give you a linear approach to to Vietnam to the war. Whereas what I love about Apocalypse Now is it's kind of saying it's impossible to understand. Yeah. That's what I love about that movie. And not just impossible to understand, impossible to kind of represent in the traditional classical realist American cinema. So Apocalypse Now feels to me like a modernist French movie, right? It's like Coppola is saying, I'm going to change the language of the war movie with this. Even that opening scene where you play The Doors, you blow up the napalm in the bushes, but you constantly keep the... the um, you know, the dissolve between his face, Martin Sheen on his bed, the fan going, yeah. the sound cut in, you know, this was a huge achievement from, um, what's his name, the the sound design guy, because he was, they'd never done this before to, with that clarity between the fan and the rotors of the helicopter. And I was listening to it at home, right? It's so stunning because I think they did, this was the first time Dolby appeared wow. for Apocalypse Now. So... It's like the film is an incredible experiment in itself. It doesn't look, you know, you, Platoon's a great example. I think Platoon's a great movie, but it doesn't look and feel anything like Apocalypse Now. Platoon is an attempt to come to terms with Vietnam. Apocalypse Now is an attempt to lose yourself in the jungle. But it's also at the individual level. So Platoon, Casualties of War, these sorts of movies, I feel that they're more institutional analysis, right? Yeah. Whereas Apocalypse Now is the breakdown of the individual. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's losing the individual also is an allegory for the breakdown of like the state, the political truth, or, you know, what, what is true, what is not true. Um, you know, Kurtz is the figure that's calling everyone a hypocrite. The American yeah. government is a hypocrite. Um, I just, before we finish up, can we talk quickly about Brando? Like what did you think of Brando in Apocalypse Now and in Hearts of Darkness? Um, I think he's fine in Apocalypse Now and in Hearts yeah. of Darkness. I hate him. I hate him. I, I can't handle. <laughs> what about it. when he takes the million, and they call and the agent says, um, "Brando can't come. You can't shift the schedule." He, Brando Marlon says he can't make it, and and Coppola says, "Are you seriously telling me that Marlon can't come one week later?" Yeah. And he said, "I keep my million dollars." Yeah. He goes, "That's great. Why would Marlon do yeah, that?" Yeah. I, I don't. I know. I'm not a big fan of. Because I work with actors or any <laughs> cast and crew, but if someone behaves that way and screws up production and yeah. lives of many people yes. and millions of dollars, so like no thanks, but I'm not it, happy about it. it. I don't absurd. like it. It becomes absurd at one point because Coppola is trying to get Brando to come in, but because mm. Brando's holding out, Coppola's got attorneys talking to his attorneys, and Coppola's <laughs> out of cash for the movie, so he's yeah. paying lawyers to talk to uh, Brando's yeah, lawyers. I got to explain. I can't talk about this film without thinking about. Yeah. I always think about this documentary. I'm not sure if you guys have seen. It. It's called Lost Souls, and it's no, the making of Richard Stanley's The Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Yeah, or yeah. I mean, he didn't end up making it. I think Frankenheimer actually comes in to complete that film in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a documentary yeah. on the making. It is tremendous. Yeah. It's from two thousand. 2014, it's got Lost Souls, and then it's got this big, long, The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Yeah, Moreau. Yeah, yeah. But that covers Kilmer, yes. <laughs> Val Kilmer. It covers Marlon Brando, but it has more access to Brando, and Brando is being just as big a jerk, but yeah. at this point, he's huge. He's yeah. like uh, physically huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a bald head. He's doing everything he can to destroy the director's vision and the wow. and the, the shooting schedule. And that 
behavior makes me so angry. Yeah. So I just associate that with this movie now. <laughs> yeah. And no, this is also off the back the... of Bertolucci stuff where I'm like, okay, Brando, come on. But man. I mean, look, I th- I'm not saying Brando is a nice guy. I'm sure Brando's a jerk. He acts like a jerk yeah. on this movie. What about he shows up and he's supposed he told Copley he was going to lose a lot of weight. He shows up he hasn't mm. lost any weight. In fact, he's got bigger. Secondly, um, they have their first meeting and Eleanor Copley says to the camera, and it became clear to Francis that um, Marlon <laughs> hadn't, hadn't read, read the, the novel. novel. Yeah, it's yeah. only like a 160-page novel, yeah. Marlon doesn't read it. And he's taking three million bucks for the role. But I guess what I want to say, though, is Marlon comes there to play Colonel Kurtz as a military colonel. Francis takes a look at him, and this doco shows us the way that Francis has to decide quite literally on the yeah. fly. What do we do with Marlon, right? Yeah. And he goes, remember when Francis says, we've got two choices here. I can shut down shooting and work with Marlon for the three weeks and then shoot something quickly and hopefully we get something between Marty and Marlon. Yeah. I'm just going to shoot an improv every day for three weeks yeah. and see that. Yeah. And that's what they do. And I will say to anyone who wants to watch Apocalypse Now, when, when I get to that scene, it's so moving. It's so <laughs> profound for me. Like... The way, like even little things, like I, I've got images in my head of Marlon like, wiping his head, yeah, his bald yeah, head, yeah, yeah. and the water dripping to the the yeah. ground, and you hear the clatter of the water. Yeah. Things like that are like in me for all my life. You know, sure. Just, yeah, I mean, I think it's in spite, good. In spite of the fact that he's an asshole. No, <laughs> I think it's fine. Oh fuck. Oh. <laughs> Okay. No, I think it's fine, and I think it speaks more to Francis Ford Coppola than it does to yeah. Brando. I think you know, uh, I learned this with Dee Wallace on on my film yeah. when she had ideas, and it's like, well, you're a star, and I need you for this film, so you have got me. It would be easier to do this quickly and the way I had it in my yeah. head, but I'm going to work with you. And she gave me examples of Blake Edwards doing it. She gave me examples of Spielberg doing it where they go, okay, we'll rebuild the set because you've had an idea. Yeah. And they were generous and they let it happen. I think that's what Coppola does. And yeah. I know he does it because, in the, again, to reference that Bram Stoker making of, the Dracula making of, there is a scene where Gary Oldman, you might remember it, he's held up in a room and then he turns into a giant, very tall bat creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's because, and you can see it happen again, like the way uh, Eleanor has shot the... Um, Coppola on the set and Gary Oldman goes, why would Dracula leave now? Why wouldn't I attack Van Helsing? And like, well, we need you to leave because that's what happens for the story. You just go out the window. And he goes, I won't go out the window. And so they have this argument. And then it eventually turns into that scene where they have to build a giant prosthetic <laughs> Batman to have to stand in the corner to screech at people because Oldman's idea was that he wouldn't just walk out of the room. And I just think that speaks a lot to what Coppola yeah. must be as a director to work with stars to to validate and like, them for nice that stuff. That's a nice vision for you know? a director, right? Yeah, that's not the Stanley Kubrick version. No, no. Kubrick's not going. Gary, you're right. Let's build yeah, this yeah, massive yeah. thing. Kubrick's going. Are you insane? I'm Stanley. Kubrick. I think it's hard to look at Apocalypse now. Or to look at this film and not look at Apocalypse Now. Like oh, if totally. the, the final film, like with the Lost Souls documentary, if the final film is a turkey, the island of Dr. Moreau, yeah. then it's very easy to va- evaluate how good this documentary is. Yep. But I think it's hard to look at this documentary without seeing the finished product. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think that our next film that we're going to talk about, we can see that as a documentary and look at that as an evaluation of yeah. what I is mean, a good all movie. All I will say about the doco is... Yeah. I'm so in agreement with Gene Siskel who said best film of the year. I 
think that just the documentary filmmaking is amazing. Mm. What about the like, way they cut different I segments together. The, one of the things with any documentary or great story is, well, you got access and you found out things yeah. that we had no idea yeah. of. And that is And it's so thrilling and engaging. Yeah. You know what captured for me the precarious nature of the film? Was uh, of the of the set and everything was when Francis gets on the side of the chopper and he's standing on the <laughs> yeah, thing yeah. and then it, it takes off and he like stumbles off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he could have died. But then after he falls off, he, he sort of tippy toes through the rice paddy because he doesn't want to hurt it. I love that. <laughs> yes. All right, I think it's time to move on. Take two. Our next film is American movie from 1999. Filmmaker Chris Smith was a student editing his graduate short film when he met fellow filmmaker and documentary subject Mark Bouchard. The filmmaker saw a lot of character potential in his fellow filmmaker, so he picked up a camera and created his first feature film. The resulting picture was American Movie. The film charts the trials and tribulations of Mark Bouchard over a two-year period as he attempts to complete his short horror film entitled <laughs> as Coven. Coven. Yeah, well, they, 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 obviously, they that's, say that's Coven. That's talking points. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, they, but the, the docker plays that up as a joke, right? Yeah, yeah. Because all of them say Coven, Coven, but I've never heard anyone in the world it's ever say Coven. Coven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I figure if we're going to say Inglorious Bustards, because yeah. that's what Tarantino wants, we're going to say as Coven. As a gesture of respect. Yeah, for, the, for, yes. for Mark. Okay. The film also documents Mark developing a feature film named Northwestern. Amongst the many obstacles facing Mark are his lack of financing, his unbridled ambition, and the quality of the cast and crew, who are mostly his friends. Despite odds being stacked against him, Mark completes the short and holds a screening at a local cinema. The resulting documentary is a hilarious, compassionate, and often heartbreaking portrayal of a cinephile who considers filmmaking as his ticket to a new life. The movie won Best Documentary at Sundance Film Festival and was picked up by Sony for $1 million. Herschel, I knew that if we were going to do a movie, uh, if we were going to do a podcast about making of documentaries, then there was no way we weren't going to do this one. So I forced it upon you both. I hope you enjoyed it. What's your take on American movie? Every so often, you... You come across a movie, like, and it's rare. No, it's rare, okay, to come across a movie that, in the words of Dennis Leary, it really warms the cockles of your heart. Okay, I started watching American movie, and then I got so lost in the characters and so connected to what I'm going to describe as their plight. It's actually a, it's an incredibly emotional and fraught journey that they were attempting to go on. I got so connected to them that, you know, sometimes you watch something and you think to yourself, in another life, I could be friends with you guys. I yeah. could be hanging out with you guys. I can't say That's I what got, I felt like. I can't say I got that far. <laughs> really? No. They're a bit unhinged, right? No, no. But, Especially but, Mark. But, but here's the as thing. Charming okay, so as charming as he is. I actually want to talk about this. I want to talk about what circumstance and environment can do yes. to people in certain contexts when... Deep down, they've got something to offer, but we'll mm. never have the opportunity to well, really. Well, I mean, I was it. saying this to Craig the other day. It's really a film also about a particular American. It's like a class story, mm-hmm. right? Very much a class. Story. I mean, and I thought that was really powerful. Now, you know, you and I, Bruce, we always talk about, like, for example, what if you take Dad out of the context that he was born into, the yeah. environment that he was born into? He was so fast with numbers and actually a genuinely curious person. But also right? a really smart guy. Yes, if yeah. you take him and you put him into an environment where he's got access to that, where he's got, you know, a degree of of, of people supporting him, everything changes, yeah. right? Now, yeah. that's the kind of that's it's the way I was watching uh, American movie. But I do want to say a few things that that lead me to feel this way about it, all right? The first thing 
is that it's also a really sad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's, there's a lot of tragedy in it and there's a lot of emotional sadness in it because it's a depiction of disadvantage. And for me, it's what that does to you if your environment ends up being this way. But what if you think about it and you've got this deep kind of consideration of it and it's years of consideration mm. and you think to yourself, I've plotted my way out of it, but what if circumstance will never present that opportunity to me? Which is why, for me, watching an American movie is actually a work of suspense because you don't know where it's going to end up. But, but also, I mean, one of the challenges is we're watching a movie made uh, late 90s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, nev- I, I, didn't, I never heard of the guy. Yeah. So I was feeling all the time watching it, the tragedy, because it's not like you won an Oscar or Marvel picked him mm. up to direct a movie. Yeah. So it was always a sense But of I want to come to something interesting that did happen yeah. to Mark Bushert. But I do want to say, this picture of unsuccessful family and dysfunction, it's very stark. So that's not a fun... There are yeah. many, many funny points in this movie, but that some of it is quite hard to watch. I, I agree. Herschel, can I just say, in reference just to exactly what you're talking about now, at the end of the, the other film we watched, with uh, Francis Ford Coppola says that his hope one day is that a little fat girl from mm, Iowa exactly, is yeah. his words. To me, the great hope is that now these little 8 millimeter video recorders and stuff are coming around. Some just people who normally wouldn't make movies are going to be making them, and, you know, suddenly... One day, some little fat girl in Ohio is going to be the new Mozart, you know, and make a, a beautiful film with her little father's camera recorder. And for once, the so-called professionalism about movies will be destroyed forever, you know, and it will really become an art form. Yeah. And that anyone can do it. And that he hopes that the dream is that independent cinema can be made by anyone, yep. which is kind of a dream. Yep. But there is this film points out the biggest problem with that dream you need to access what the controlling classes, so to speak, yeah. have, which no, is right. I mean, the prestige, yeah. the, the, uh, the, the ability to show it to the world. Like, you can't just show it. You can put it on TikTok, you but f- you'll get four right? viewers, right? Yeah. yeah, you need certain things that, that, that Mark cannot access. He can get a camera, he can get an editing suite, he can get a mic, but it doesn't mean that he can make his film seen by the entire world. There's a difference. And okay. the other thing I want to say is yeah. it's true of a lot, though. Like, if you go back to the for, for folks who have um, listened through season one, you know, when I was talking about Wolf of Wall Street and institutional poverty and institutional unfairness and alcoholism and debt in this movie is kind of like a currency for these people. Yeah. But unfortunately, and, and, and really this is what's, is what's really hard to watch, is that Mark knows that it's holding him back. And mm-hmm. yet there are lines in it where they say, but that's what everyone does. And if you go so far as in, even to make Northwestern, which is the depiction of people who are dysfunctional, yeah. but that's what life is. And there's a degree of pride to it. I felt there was a degree of and pride to the work And there's a weird kind of doing. synergy with like the, so the way he describes Northwestern, you know, and, and the, this rural class of people that don't have opportunities. It reminds me of like, some of the American realism stuff that became like serious cinema, but with the, like yeah. Alexander with the black, Payne, with the black, did, like yeah. Nebraska, but with yeah. the black and white. I was seeing yeah. Last Picture Show. I Last was Picture Show, yeah. the, the grainy shooting of Last Picture. I should show. make it clear that um, at the beginning of the documentary, it says this is northwestern area of that state, yeah. which I assume is what Mark's film is meant to be. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's it's what the I think region that he's based on. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I want to come back to is, it's also a depiction of what happens if. You can imagine a purpose and you can imagine success, but you can never access it. Mm. So eventually you get, you get whittled down 
and your your will gets broken down. And that for me is a very sad part of this movie. I, mm. the, the, yeah, but uh, didn't you feel that? Like, I, I get what you're saying. But he's the only person. His will doesn't get broken. But this he's, is he's like indefatigable. But that's where two. I want to go with this. this is why I'm starting with the sad points because yeah. that's why this is such an unlikely story. It's kind of like a real life Rocky story, even though it's not going <laughs> to be Rocky in terms of what happens in reality. But it's a it's what happens if you get that one shining light that can drag the others along with it. Yeah. The lack of purpose, the reason I think this movie didn't get lost in that and the reason why I, people speak about it differently is that it then shows where perseverance takes you if you're yeah. willing to stick at it. It's it's also what comedy is. There's a thing in comedy formula for writing which is the comic gap between a character, what a character thinks they are versus yeah. what they actually are. Basil Fawlty <laughs> thinks he runs the world's best hotel. He does not. And we constantly see that <laughs> And that he thinks gap. he's the best hotelier, yes, right? Yes, he and thinks he's, he's the fanciest yeah. man on earth. He's just a pleb. Yeah. <laughs> this is what this guy lives with. I am making the best film ever. And he's constantly proving that yep. he's not to us as the viewers. But he's not quite Ed Wood either. No, he's right? not. Because, for example, he's got a whole stack of VHS. Yeah. And it's like Bergman. Oh, yeah. yeah. All and, the scripts he's got know, as well. And he's yeah. got it's books. It's not just a stack of VHS. You know? He's referencing shots from Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, so he was this, to me, he was this fascinating and totally No, I, like, I, I, I should make it clear. Yeah. I don't think the gap is because he's delusional. Yeah. I think the gap is he wants it to exist and he has so yeah. much hope, but he doesn't have the ability to recognize, well, the thing you need to do is make friends with the fancy people, the rich yes. people. You need to well, go to the The only thing I was going to add to what you said earlier is Coppola, Spielberg, De Palma, Scorsese, they all went to film schools. Yes. He has... No access to an education. I mean, yeah. how much education does this dude have, right? He comes across as quite intelligent, yeah. but he's not been plugged into anything institutionally But it's, not, it's also powerful. not... Exactly. It's yeah. not about what you learn. It's about all those friends people you make. People that you make, It's yeah. about the champagne you drink with the right people yeah, on the yeah. right night, and then you start hanging out this with them. This is why people go to afters. I mean, yeah. not that I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the afters program, but you meet people, <laughs> the industry's plugged into it. Yeah. He can't only not get that because he's not part... He doesn't do film school. He doesn't have the capital to even leave the locale of Northwestern. The beautiful right. thing is that it's also about purity of art. He yeah. believes that if you make a great thing, the world will see it. Yeah. And what I, the sadness I've learned over the last few years of making my own horror movie, going yeah. around the world at festivals, is just seeing so many good films. That I'm like, no one will ever see this, yeah. even though it's an excellent movie and it does righteously, like it deserves to be seen. Yes. It's not going to be. Well, you guys know no I used to be on the advisory board for the Sydney Film Festival and I used to watch about, I don't know, 40 movies every yeah. November and December, which I quite enjoyed. And I would make these recommendations and they almost never listened to me. Mm. You know, like I, I, there was one serial killer movie, which is now Netflix, by the way. I watched it. Okay. I, and, and, I, I and I said, and I remember writing to the head program because you had to send your reviews. And I said, I know you guys have, are, are, are looking a lot of things. Please program this movie. Mm. And they didn't. And I was, I was shocked. That's a hell of a movie. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a great one. Um, I just want to say as well. Um, so in the sadness and, and the difficulty they face. <laughs> what they find then mm. through family and through friendship is for me the ultimate kind of testament yeah. to you can overcome, right? Like okay, It's absolutely beautiful. It's summed up by Mike, his best friend that we were mm. talking about, when he describes how important the experience of the making, yeah. making Coven, how important the experience is for him. But then he says that it's also important for Mark. It's important for them both together. Mm. That to me was like a sort of, micro-capture yeah. of what the entire film is. 
they don't have the money. They don't have the connections, the networking. They're never going to get the opportunities that, you know, successful people might have gotten. But they've still got each other. Yeah. And and that's a beautiful thing in this movie. And I haven't yeah. seen it captured that well in a long time. And, and the yeah. closing montage is so smart because it goes back oh, to them beautiful. as teenagers and boys right. playing together, mucking around, making films. I was quite emotional watching because yeah. I thought, wow, you guys have had this dream and this level of commitment as a group. Not one guy, yeah. but a team of your best friends. How many years? Yeah. Like, oh. I don't know, how, how uh, long would was it? 15 years at yeah, least. 15, yeah, it was like they were shooting something in early 80s or mid. Yeah. And then this this doco is made about COVID. Oh, I mean, you look at us. You guys are in my first short, right? Life yeah. in Datsun. Life in Datsun. You guys get out of the car, you do the, uh, yeah, right yeah, at the yeah. very end. And then 16 years later, mm-hmm. Red Christmas, your baby is in at the end. You know? So there's this yeah. kind of weird thing where, in fact, American movie has something of that thing that we were just talking about with aqua golf and yeah. stuff, right? Which is that you're connected. You're not necessarily the people that, you know, are at USC film school where you're plugged into the community. But you made a movie. And I got to say, I was cheering when they got the whole street and yeah. there's a line down the it thing. Amazing. And yes. wait, what about how um, Uncle Bill and him taking yeah. a photo? And Bill, he's like out of it. He's and, what about, what he's and what about Mark goes, here, here comes the producer. Here comes the <laughs> yeah. And he gets out of the car. I mean, in yeah. fact, you know what's a, there's a lovely kind of um, parallelism between. Do you remember when Coppola, the, the limo pulls up yes. in uh, Hearts yeah. of Darkness yeah. and Coppola gets out and everyone's clapping, the media's clapping like, hey, we're at the cinema, we're going to... And where their car pulls up, which is just a, like a crappy, you know, I don't know, for, for sedan, and Uncle Bill gets out yeah. with Mark. There's, there's like a... It's the same shot, really, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, but I, a different world. I, I teared up in a couple of places, maybe more than two places, but two that I want to... That stood out for me. Wait, before you go on, I just want to explain, if you haven't watched it or you're not familiar, we acknowledge it is a hilarious film as well. It's like, so we're funny. Th- we're talking like it's the saddest don't, don't thing in the planet. Because okay. I'm, I'm, so I've actually funny. got some stuff set aside <laughs> okay. because it's some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen in my life. Yes, yeah. yes. But, which is all the more when you contrast it with some of the, the painful stuff yeah, that, yeah, is, that, yeah. that is depicted. So I just want to say <laughs> two places I, 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 can't, I teared up, right? One was... Do you remember when they're interviewing his mother and they said, well, do you think you'll make that big movie oh, one day? And yeah. she like pauses and she goes, well, you know, t- you need money. And she goes, I don't think you will. Yeah. Mm. That was so painful so to watch. That's after like 15 years of seeing him trying, <sighs> right? And so yeah. her judgment is like probably not. What about the movie? The, the movie kind of frames his narrative in terms of his brothers mm. saying like, I don't know oh, what he's man. doing. What's what, he doing what with his, his brothers? life? Brothers? His brothers are hardcore. Brother. Huh? Why yeah. do they hate him but so the much? Other thing, the other place where, where, where I was tearing up was, what? A, how did you guys feel when it said, when Bill died, he left 50K to the <laughs> This is what we were just talking about <laughs> yesterday. I, I lost it. Yeah. I, uh, still, Uncle I cry Bill, every right? time, man. I Uncle Bill. Help. What about Uncle Bill in the bank? <laughs> when he's signing some of his, like his, his account, he's giving some mm. money. He's, as a producer, he's putting it in. And, and he's just going, I don't know what I'm, what's this. I yeah. don't know. I but don't then know. they go, the, you, you're the only one who can sign and get out. And he goes, that sounds like the usual. And then <laughs> Mark starts cracking up because he's like, what do you mean the usual? And then someone, the bank guy goes, Sounds like the opposite of the usual or whatever. <laughs> oh. um, just, I want to say that the, the Thanksgiving celebration yeah. is so oh, beautiful. It's amazing. Um, and I don't know if you remember, I, I don't know if it's Mike or one of the other <laughs> friends that's that's carving the turkey. When they bring the turkey in, mm. like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He's carving the turkey. Do you remember this line where he goes, you know, it's good. It's just a, it's the, the meat's flaking away. It's yeah. not cutting, it's not that's, cutting straight. I, 
I was going to say that line meant like resonated so strongly with me. It's such a beautiful line yeah. because mm. and, 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 no, but wait, I, wait. Also at that Thanksgiving dinner, I love that Mark gets drunk and starts getting fired up <laughs> like he's yelling about how good he is or how he doesn't want to be yeah. a normal person like I'm not going to do my 40 I, hours a week yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a, a work yeah. away person who does a normal job and he just gets so angry about it. and that's like the heart of him you know yeah. and it's so sad that he's drunk that he says it the other thing in that moment is the codependent relationship between him and his best friend about drinking and drugs because yes. yeah. he's just won $25 on a scratch it and, and he won't he tell anyone because he yeah. doesn't want to borrow money that's right. own and money. as soon as he tells him Mark says let's go so down and buy some pictures at the pub yeah at the pub let's go get which is kind of sad because he just goes I just don't know what we can do. I got twenty dollars. What can we do? And he goes, "Well, we get four peaches at yeah. the pub." And, and the worst, and then they're all putting their coats on, and it's gone. And 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 then the other thing is, there are times throughout the film where Mark is saying to him, "Don't drink, Mike. Don't yeah. drink." I think it's one of the last yeah. scenes of the film. He's yelling out, "Don't drink." But that's what's a great depiction of these struggles because and the they're complex. Friendship, right? They're yeah. complex yeah. struggles. They, there's yeah. no right or wrong. There's no answer. You can be good one day and terrible the next day. I, I, I just want to, I think Mark is like a, he came across as a very enigmatic and impressive person to me because mm. obviously on one level it's incredibly funny but on another level he's not miles away from the way Coppola talks about um, reflecting on yourself and about what is your future what is yeah, your yeah, journey yeah yeah but look at the difference between Coppola's yeah. problem oh. <laughs> Brando, Brando's being annoying on set and won't learn his lines or wants an extra million this guy has to walk in and clean up his shit in a cemetery man oh. okay did either of you feel at any point that this became exploitative for the sake of the documentary. No, were, never. No, were they poking? No. And I if anything, I was going to say earlier, I don't think the film ever asks them to compromise their dignity. The film always respects them. Yeah. Doesn't matter what, even when he's bathing Uncle Bill. Yeah. There's something incredible. You I've, could you could have got a lot more laughs I've, out I've of got that, the, right? I've got the yeah. quote of the century out of the bathtub <laughs> yeah. scene, which is, um, did either of you read in prep for this that, Mark got a gig on the Letterman show. Yeah. Okay, so he covered the 2000 election for, for the Dave Letterman. Letterman show. And he's had three appearances on oh, Letterman. Geez. Well, that just reminds me of That's the George many, Bush Al Gore election. How many yeah. Corinne getting that job on Letterman or being invited on constantly? Yeah, Letterman what always had him on because Corinne was what just What happened a, to him anyway? What happened to Harmony Corinne? <laughs> he's still very active. Really? My friends just went to see him uh, on last weekend in LA. He was doing oh. a, a big speech for his new film. His new film had just come out. I forget it premiered at one of the big ones. Yeah, it is shot on thermal cameras, so what? the whole thing is just like oh, predator, like predator vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a t- it's like a two hour film shot like that. Wow. Critics were enraged at, at the <laughs> festival. They walked out. Some of them walked out and said, yeah, yeah. this is infuriating and I hate it and blah, 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 blah. But I think Corinne is kind of a troll at times. And I think he yeah. got on Letterman because I, I never know how to take that guy. But then I think you, you look yeah. at um, what's American Splendor based on? Ha- Harvey uh, Picard, the, you yeah. know, um, played by um, Paul Giamatti in that excellent yes. doco yeah. drama. Um, because he became a, a feature on Letterman. I think Letterman looked for kooks and crackpots, yeah. the people that he could kind of exploit at times. I and, guess. and Lennon yeah. was interested in people like that anyway, because yeah. you know, the shows that he's gone on to, he likes documentaries, he likes interviewing like that. A couple of quotes that I absolutely loved. Okay, first one, Alcoholics Anonymous drives him over to his gambling anonymous <laughs> sessions. <laughs> Plus, his That's sponsor's big. got a problem with Scratch. So uh, yeah, the that. person's sponsor himself <laughs> has got a problem. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> next one. This is in the scene, and I really hope our listeners get to watch this movie. This is in the scene where Mark is bathing his uncle Bill, and he says, "That toenail's more than a quarter." <laughs> that toenail. Okay. 
That toenail's more than a quarter inch thick. That's a science photo. <laughs> How good is that line? I mean, it also feels so very tale, right? It's like mm. flying the wall sort mm. of. I don't think, you know, I like, that like. The history documentary is filled with books on how people stage things to look like very. This is not staged. This is. I don't think this this is. is, I think Mark is saying that stuff. Yeah. And it's incredibly intelligent, and he he a bit like we discussed, you you know, with certain filmmakers has a capacity to referentialize other things that you wouldn't think of. I think he's well read. So he's tremendously articulate. Yeah. But the other thing is, it's more than just articulate. He's very poetic. Yeah. Like uh, the word I would use is very poetic. Yeah. Final thing is, in a very poignant moment, Mark says, it was profound. I stared at it and thought, I'm 30 years old. And in about 10 seconds, I'm going to be cleaning up (laughs) someone's shit. (laughs) I mean, but... (laughs) <laughs> Even to say, I stared at it, yeah. which means for him, it's not just, oh, the smell of it, oh, they're disgusting. He he sees it as an object. It's existential. Right? Yeah, you just said it. Mark is in that world of existentialism. And, yeah. and in fact, the whole movie, is, in fact, which is he's, great. He's in an existential crisis. Yeah. But he's also um, in, he works in a cemetery. Like how yeah. perfect for an, a Isn't documentarian to find someone who's on that threshold between yeah. what is my life, yeah. existential crisis, works in a cemetery. That's it's like really a, fascinating. It's, just, it's, it's so, a lovely journey through the motivations of people when they wear their heart on their sleeve, and you can connect with it, and you want the very best for mm. them. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely. And you know, the, the biggest tragedy, as you said, Herschel, earlier is like what happened to all the characters that kind of wandered in and out of the yeah. shots. Like, you know, like what happened to that guy with the crazy mullet, his best friend. But that's right, from but, kids. But see, it's so where did they yeah. get to? Yeah. It's, right? That's the reality of these yeah, stories. Absolutely. You and know, when we take a step back from it, these things don't have happy endings. I've mm. been watching it since the early 2000s. I got on video yeah. uh, and I, I was fascinated. It hooked me because of filmmaking, but it's not just filmmaking. No. There's so much more in this as a portrayal of people and I love it and I yeah. show as many people as I can. I'm glad that it was we a got great to do it today. Choice. Yeah, I think it's also why it's been like I've looked a bit, and it's so lauded yeah, as yeah, a film. Is, yeah. And I think it's people saying exactly as you say, Craig. It's not just a making of movie. Yeah, it's a movie that's trying to understand a certain moment in America as well. Like you think, what this is late nineties, right? Yeah, America's going through a massive turmoil as well, and they're going to be you know the whole kind of Rust Belt, the, the middle America is gonna is suffering. These people that that are going through it. Well, there it is, two very passionate men making two very different films and two very excellent documentaries about it. We are now going to do our mise en scene. Mise en scène. Now it's time for our mise en scene where we zoom in on one scene or sequence from the film. Up first, it's Bruce. What have you chosen from us from Hearts of Darkness? I had to do the way the documentary pulls back the curtain on the way Coppola got maybe one of the most elaborate, logistically complex fascinating sequences in movies, which is the Ride of the Valkyries sequence oh, yeah. in Apocalypse Now. So, I mean, i got to say, I've seen Apocalypse Now, I don't know, countless times. I had always been fascinated by certain sequences, and Ride of the Valkyries like, meant a lot to me because I was interested in it from an action point of view, from a spectacle point of view. But then just technically... It's like it's a masterpiece, you know, like mm. it's cutting in such interesting ways. Rhythmically, it's so interesting. If you watch it really carefully, Ride of the Valkyries in Apocalypse Now, try to pick when the Wagner comes in. And it's almost like it's seeping into your brain. And when I say Ride of the Valkyries, that's the piece from Wagner's mm. Ring, yeah. right? The opera. You know, obviously, from the documentary, if you've seen it, the we know that they're 
they've sort of um, they've hired. I've used an inverted commas the Filipino military. So that's what yeah. that said. And there's a whole fleet of choppers <laughs> coming down. Yeah. Just explain that, Bruce, because Coppola had oh, an so agreement Coppola, with, yeah, with, so with Marcos. With Ferdinand Marcos. <laughs> One of the funniest moments in the, in the doco Hearts of mm. Darkness is when, when um, they cut in a picture of him shaking Marcos's yeah. hand yeah, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in this like really decorate, like, decorate. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, he's meeting the, the, the president yeah. to set up this. This is how big the movie is. I've got to meet the president because I need your helicopters. So they're fighting <laughs> rebels. In it the reminded South. me of the making of the Wolf of Wall Street, how they <laughs> <just> <laughs> dirty money. You know, yeah, yeah, dirty yeah. money. <laughs> oh, that's the other thing we should say. Like, I, we're not going to have time to get into it, but wow, this movie um, is questionable on so <laughs> many fronts. Yeah. What about when the, um, is it the cinematographer? I can't remember who says, well, you know, if you're shooting in America, you might get, you know, union wages, oh, you might yeah. get one or two people. Here, we could have, like, first he says we're going to have two, we're going to have three, we're going to have four, we're going to have ten. <laughs> then he just goes, we're going to have a hundred? Yeah, what if he goes, <laughs> and he goes, but we, he goes <laughs> and it was like, what? But then as an afterthought, he says, um, yeah, we pay them a dollar a day. And he goes, I'm not saying that's right, but yeah. um, and he goes, and get a hundred people. And, and what about it when he says... And I hope you didn't take advantage of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a hundred yeah. guys moving big. And then rocks. It, it cuts to those rocks. Yeah, I know. And it's on wooden planks no. that are yeah. buckling underneath. And they each weigh three hundred pounds. Yeah. What's that? It's like one hundred and forty kilos, right? Mm. Um, so uh, Apocalypse Now is its own kind of um, imperialist project. There's yes. a lot of research on that, right? The way Coppola went to the jungle to subdue the jungle by the natives that are pittance make them work like dogs for his grand artistic vision. Mm-hmm. That's a real argument to make for Apocalypse Now, right? So it's one that I just want to point out the documentary doesn't make. This documentary... Yeah, that's the no only point. time... I mean, I don't know how the film sits with that because yeah. as, as Coppola says that the, in the very first clip of the film, we had too much money, we had too much equipment, we went in the jungle and we went mad, yeah. right? But you're right, they don't talk about themselves as exploiting the land. No. Number one. Oh, so, I mean, that opening shot where they burned the jungle... That's actually quite confronting from a contemporary yeah. point of view to think you destroyed this land with fire, right, with massive bombs. But I also find thematically, this is me piling in on this doggo yeah. now, but I find that it also doesn't do, just when I compare it to that Lost Soul documentary, it doesn't mm. interview cast and crew that much. There's the DOP yeah. a little bit. But it, the, the crew in There's particular, no yeah, but it doesn't say here's the goal and here's how we failed yeah. constantly from every crew member. There's no first AD or production manager yeah. who would give you so much a better story as yeah, well, yeah, who yeah. would build up all of, the, all mean, of the tension and all of the things they actually wanted and how they constantly fail. Yeah. But there is none of that. Anyway, go on. No, 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 good point. Yeah. The take I'm going to offer for the sequence is that Coppola turns it into a kind of artistic, ec- ecstatic uh, mm-hmm. uh, sequence. Uh, the docker gives us insight into they're shooting 10 cameras, right? And Can you imagine the logistics it, on, this, on, the, on the extras? I love, uh, I, I love seeing him in the jungle. They've built the huts and stuff. The set is sensational. They've built this massive thing. And what about how he's got the headphones, he's got the headphones, he's got his walkie-talkie, but you've got a bunch of people on walkie-talkies because mm. the coordination is so big. You've only got one take, which is why they're going to take the 10 cameras. Now, I've read Walter Murch's book, In the Blink of an Eye, where he describes the sheer amount of footage they had covering all of these angles. And when you watch it, it takes me back a bit to our discussion of Hitchcock and Psycho and montage, where... It's just, uh, it's, an, it's an ecstatic montage. I don't want to sound like smartest, but yeah. your explanation was mm. 
better than what I saw in the documentary. Like yeah. I know that I saw some behind the scenes, but I might yeah. as well have just been a fly on the wall. It's verite, but yeah. I didn't quite understand what was happening. I know the scene from the movie, and yeah, I know yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, but I didn't quite get what they did or how big the achievement was. I mean, they don't explain enough. Yeah. Of I, I'd like to have known how they set up the sets. Yeah. I'd like to have seen the behind the scenes of laying the explosives. They only show a couple of shots in Hearts of Darkness. With I don't know if you noticed a guy holding the detonator. Yeah, yeah. And they're like detonating stuff. But that was absolutely orchestrated through storyboards. Yeah. So when you watch it, yeah. it's so precise. Well, but, you know, I, I'm being annoying now, but there were no shots of the storyboards. Yeah. And, like, it would have been I've nice done to see that. stunts or sequences like yeah. this, action stuff, where you walk it through in the park before yeah. you get into the cars to drive it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you need to really rehearse it and coordinate. Yeah. And you, there's so much cool footage in yeah. the way that process happens normally that isn't in that doco. I'd, I'm with you. I'd love yeah. to have seen more. I guess the thing I love just seeing, take away the illusion and now we're behind the scenes. Yeah. And just to see one of my, something that was such a profound influence on me to suddenly see Coppola standing there with a walkie-talkie mm. and a bunch of people orchestrating it to think, wow, you guys did this. There is I, a good I, element, sorry, of, of a personal story, like yeah. between her and him, yeah. and you're in amongst that. So like if I said, oh, this is the documentary where a human, you get to be a human that was there. Yeah, I guess they're too good humans to have been there. They're, yep. they're high up and see a lot. I like seeing aspects of how they explain the shot because the yeah. reason I love that shot is because you know that overhead perspective? Mm. It's like Do an orient- village? Yeah, yeah, it's like an orientation for the Vietnam yeah. War. You see these moving pieces. It kind of reminds me when you construct something like in Sim City or City yeah. Skylines mm. or something. The positioning of it is itself, I think, a picture of the war. Yeah. The w- and and that, that idea of being dislocated because well, when the like, Americans like go in, they're completely dislocated. Village. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our next mise en scene. Mise en scène. Herschel, what have you chosen for us from American movie? I think most of my – well, certainly I started my – conversation uh, about American movie with some of the sad stuff behind it, some of the serious content. So I thought it was only fitting that I turned to a more lighthearted part of the scene. And I should say to our listeners that, I don't know, two, three days ago we were talking, and you both said to me, I said, look, I've started the movie, I'm about 15 minutes in. And you both said to me, have you (laughs) arrived yet at a scene where <laughs> two people are fighting in a kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, I've not... I didn't want to give it away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I said, no, I've not reached the kitchen scene yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have subsequently finished the film and I'm going to talk to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to the kitchen scene. Yes. So I want to set the scene. Um, Mark is in the process of filming Coven. And one aspect of it requires him... To be in the kitchen with his friend. Now, I should also say that he's got all manner of people assisting him, right? Um, he's got the camera focusing on the kitchen cupboards. And from time to time, his mother will be operating yeah, the camera. And that's yeah. a funny scene in itself. <laughs> what Mark is going to do is he's going to try to push his friend through the kitchen cupboard door. Mm-hmm. It's a part of it. It's like a stunt. And it's a scene of violence. They're fighting with each other, and then Mark is going to run his head in the door. And the aim of it is that the door should shatter in the process. Yeah, the, key, we, the cupboard door. And the cupboard yeah. door should shatter. Now, it's a low cupboard. It's like under the kitchen sink where you would hold your 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 detergents and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's a wooden door that you'd see in an old apartment. 
And what is supposed to happen is Mark will drive his, his one of his best friend's head into the door. <laughs> the door will shatter and you'll end up in the cupboard but and they'll call just, cut. Can you remind people that it's not a prop, though? It's no, not a prop. No, this is actually the kitchen. the kitchen cupboard. Well, I think it's, 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 it's his mum's kitchen cupboard. Yeah. Can no. I just say, this is 60s wood, man. This is like melanine or okay, something. It's hard. <laughs> no, because no. normal kids today would see chipboard where it's like compressed bits yeah. of um, sand to paper. Now, I do want to say, they've to some extent, they've done their due diligence. In in that, um, the handy person has taken a, is it a saw and yeah. um, they, he, they've cut a seam he's into cut, it. He's and cut that, seams into that, the cupboard. That's the best way to describe them, a handy person, uh, not not a special effects coordinator, not a stunt coordinator. No, it's a just some dude with a saw. Yeah. <laughs> we cut, don't even know who he is. He's, he's cut a couple of lines into the door and then they put the door back in place. Well, they've scratched. It looks yeah. like they've scratched it looks like a couple some of scratches. hard wood. Yeah. So then. <laughs> They go, action, his friend on all fours. Mark gets behind him, puts his hands on his shoulders, and runs this poor man's head into the kitchen cupboard, which unfortunately... Now, this is where I lost it, because the cupboard... To some extent, I'm expecting the cupboard's not going to break. But when it doesn't break, Mark, for his art... Pulls his friend's head back <laughs> and he rams it again. Yeah, I mean, and then he rams it he again. He rams it at least three times. Yeah. That's right. Really hard. Oh man, you alright? Yeah. To his friend's credit, he steps back and he's got this broad smile on his face, but he's a bit woozy. Yeah. And you're like, you know, he topples over in yeah. jest, kind of. <laughs> this yeah, is, but, yeah, but he also goes, oh, I'm dizzy. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you remember, this isn't the first time they've shot that as no. well. They've no, it's not the first time. Before. But then the yeah. other dude comes back in, he takes the door, he puts another couple of cuts in yeah. it, yeah. and he's pushing on it, and he goes, no, that's okay now. They put the door back in place. <laughs> All right, all right, hold on, hold on, man, hold on, cut, 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 cut. But Mark really put some oomph behind the second take. He was trying to smash that door with his head. And then the most beautiful, like, bookend to the scene, Mark takes the door off and he looks at it and he does a quasi kind of karate punch at the door and the door won't break and he goes, Oh, dude, you know what? I'm sorry I tried to put your head in this. This is going to be like, take some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the scene This is the great... Yeah. And the, the good humour mm. of the guy's had his head rammed into yeah. a very hard wooden door at least five times, it's just stunning. This is the guy as well who earlier had said that... He has to give Mark a time that he needs to leave. Even though he doesn't have to leave, he just doesn't want things to go on forever. So he's already used to And he said the reason he does that is because, you know, it's Mark and you've got to be, you know, he wants to make this film. Yeah. And it's like it's like a kid's birthday party. It's like, well, the kid's going to be super happy. I've got to do crazy things to help the kid out. <laughs> he already knows yeah. just that he's going to be late to his next thing. But now he's getting his head smashed constantly. When, when you've got the, the documentary filmmaker's perspective of the scene what's so endearing about it is it's as though the man his friend has wilted under mark's direction and mark takes him like a rag doll and he rams him so hard into the door and didn't you guys feel an incredible cathartic sensation when his head got through the door for the shot and i I was that's a good point and in fact it was a great shot yeah it was a really good shot but also the speed at which Mark threw his head through the door the final time to actually get through the yeah, door, yeah. the guy must have smashed his head on the back wall because he's gone all the way in. I mean, it's just an amazing oh, thing God. to watch. It's, it's a really fantastic, it's a one, great of the funniest, 
one of the funniest scenes, unscripted, one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen. Mm. Oh, one of the funniest scenes I've seen in years and yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, No, excellent. All right, that was a great miss on scene. So there are our two films. Boys, which do you like better out of those two movies? I mean, for me, Hearts of Darkness is like a very important... It's... If not for Apocalypse Night and Hearts of Darkness, I might not even be in the world of academia. It was such a profound influence on me. Mm. I just went down the rabbit hole of, of that era of cinema. See, I can't actually say which I like best. This is one of those. This is one of those situations where um, I, you know, I've always got a soft spot for the presentation of people who struggle yeah. and 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 who are trying to do their best in very difficult circumstances, institutional repression and stuff like that. I love both these movies. I mm-hmm. think Apocalypse Now. And because Hearts of Darkness is a representation of it, I do think it's one of the great achievements in film, though. It's one of those things where I, I sit back and I'm in awe of the, of the, yeah. of the project and the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... it's uh, but Well, I'm, I, I'll split you all down the middle because I'm so far the opposite. I yeah, am yeah. all for American movies. Yeah, yeah. It is a perfect film, an excellent film with so much heart, whereas Hearts of Darkness... I think is about someone who, you know, you have a lot more context. Bruce and mm. film means a lot more to you. I'm a bit more like oh, that guy's just a, a fancy no, director no, I totally who, gets, who just gets to play with big things and risk and his house, is, and then he gets to were. keep his house. I don't care, yeah. dude. Like, and yeah. and it's not a great. Do- I've seen many making offs that are better. That mm. I just go, well, that was a much better e- example of what mm. and the trials and tribulations. For instance, this film about a poor guy who remains poor yeah. and just loves film. And I'm like, that's I, mean, I also my just story. want to say for the discussion, the context, weirdly, mm. and against everyone's expectation, Apocalypse Now ended up making a lot of movie, a lot of money, yeah. and won the Palm Door at Cannes. Yeah. Which is, who would have thought? Yeah, huge. Like, if, as you say, Craig, if that movie tanks and he's a turkey with the critics, mm. this is probably the biggest disaster in history. It's the one Heaven's thing I didn't like right? in the movie. I didn't like how they chose to do the ending. I didn't like the limo pulling up because I don't think that was a statement. It wasn't, a, it, it wasn't, it wasn't coming around full circle to say that this is what Francis and the team had gone through and this is where we are now because it, to me it almost compromised that. Well, in a sense, that of sort it. of supports Craig's point, which is they are the Hollywood glitterati. Yeah, right? and they even though at that time they may have been the new guard or the, mm. the indies or yeah. the zoetropes, yeah. but when I watch it now, I go, you guys are the most famous, rich, fancy-ass dudes ever. Screw yeah. you guys. You know, Thanks. I don't need to see you make a movie and do well. I knew you did. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't get to me. But that's fine. It's still, I think Apocalypse Now is an interesting mm. and exciting movie and a huge project, as you said, and yeah. that's a good document of it. Yeah. All right, let's leave it at that. I just want to add a postscript for the movie, American movie. Uh, Mike Shank, who is the best friend mm, with the mullet, the guitarist. he passed away last year. Uh, Did he? Uh, so cancer sad. at the age of 53, yeah. It, it was a big thing on film Twitter. Um, he was farewelled a lot by uh, Mark, who just said a very simple thing and said, well, you know, I miss you, best friend and stuff. But uh, people like Mark Duplass, Edgar Wright, Taika Waititi, yeah. they all shouted out. They all put photos up of him and they all said, Is that amazing? watch this guy. If you haven't seen American movie, watch it because at least you'll learn how to be a good friend. Wow. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, I that was but I love the fact thing, that you know? big filmmakers were saying this is significant. Yeah. This, person's, this person was significant. That's really, I mean, yeah, that's, hey, that's, sweet. One, that's one thing that Twitter can do. 
Yeah. yeah. And then I should say that that director, Chris um, Chris Smith, also went on to make Yes Man, the documentary about the two global pranksters who would get into oh, yeah. wear suits and get into places. Um, and the movie, the reason why I think it does have such a good class consciousness is his short film he was making at uni was called American Job. Okay. And it was all about, you know, what it was like being a worker in America. Yeah. In that, it's actually, that's a really valuable context. It's like we see that in mm. American movie, right? Yeah. Because people might think, hey, this is just a movie about these guys trying to make a movie. But there's so much rich texture um, in, inside of that story. And I just want to shout out to Sarah Price as well, who was the producer of American Movie, and it was just her and Chris doing everything. So <laughs> we shouldn't, you know, yeah. not mention Sarah Amazing. Price as well. Uh, that's it for our behind-the-scenes making of a podcast. Next week, get ready to get conspiratorial as we take on two paranoid sci-fi thrillers. Yes, we're going to compare John Carpenter's Mimatic, and I'm using that like the word meme. Um, oh. You know what I'm saying? They live. Yeah, well, yeah. it's become like the red pill in the Matrix is a meme for red meme. pill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm saying it's mimetic because oh, okay. um, Beautiful. obey, yeah, you know, yeah. they live. So we're going to compare they live with the recently released genre-twisting they cloned Tyrone. Yes, the Republicans slash Democrats slash whites slash rich <laughs> slash, slash aliens. uber capitalists. Slash lizard people are behind it all. Boys, it promises to be one exciting episode. I'm also thrilled we're doing John Carpenter. Yeah. We yeah, haven't John done a John Carpenter. It's time to do John Carpenter. It's time to bring He's got probably one of the best runs of films, yeah. like seven picture films. Of that moment. Because, uh, you know, Escape from New York. Halloween. You can't even, yeah. Crazy. Amazing. So both those films, uh, you can get uh, They Clone Tyrone now on Netflix. It's just been released around the world on Netflix. And on Amazon, you can get uh, They Live, or you can just buy it on uh, eBay DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully it gets here within the next week. And also, I would encourage people to watch this, because it's a great Carpenter movie, but it's a lesser-known Carpenter movie. Yeah. And this is one where you should... This also shows you what Carpenter's political project was through some of these films. Yeah. And, and I forgot Sultan Priest in 13. Oh, yeah. And well, and also, if you want to watch a uh, seven-minute fight for the scene with Rowdy Roddy Piper, you're going you're gonna <laughs> to be happy. Rowdy, Roddy, one of the greatest Piper. lines in film yes, history. Yes, hit it with Herschel. Do you have it? Okay. I've come here to kick ass. No, I've, I've come here to chew gum and kick ass, yeah. and I'm all out of gum. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic stuff. What a line. <laughs> all right, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen, and give us five stars. Mm. Um, I figure if you've listened all the way through this episode, you must be a lot Can I make a quick announcement? It looks like the Week of Horror at Sydney Uni is coming together really nicely. So stay tuned for some more news about that. Okay, we might be watching a movie maybe at at Sydney Uni, or are we going to... We may be doing an outdoor screening of Halloween on Halloween night. Wow, that's fantastic. I think that's come together. Maybe oh. a few other interesting things. I can't wait well. to hear that. It's going to be yeah, brilliant. That's going to be the best. Iconic I can't creepy wait for all music. Of and we're going to be recording a, an, a, an episode. about All about Halloween coming up. Yeah. So don't forget to rate us. Give us five stars. We're also on Instagram <laughs> at Film versus Film Podcast, where we do what we're watching. Um, thank you for listening. I've been Craig Anderson. I've been Herschel Isaacs. I've been Bruce Isaacs. Join us next time for Film versus Film. Take two. Film versus Film. Film. Film.